1: Mr. Than Fine, what a delight it is to have you in the Reef Builder studio. I've been a fan of your work, your content for over a decade. And, uh, you know, definitely someone I take inspiration from. So it's a real honor to have you in the flesh here in the studio.
0: Thanks very much for having me.
1: For a a very rare in-person interview on Reef Therapy. Nice. Nice. Glad to be here. So a little kind of a uh, Oddball question or is what is your version of reef therapy when you're working on your tanks or you want something to
0: I don't know just kind of give you some of that catharsis. Um. So I would say there's like two things if we're talking about just what goes on at tidal gardens The real simple like a Zen thing is for me to zone out and just scrape the glass of algae because that's one of those, those activities that um, a lot of my higher value employees don't typically do because they're doing more important stuff. And I actually don't mind um, going through and scraping because it is a legit brainless activity. I, I'm already doing so many other things. It is nice to just veg out. You clean all your glass tanks. And when you're done, it's really nice to have a facility that looks sparkling clean it raises everybody's morale it's so much easier to do work in and around the tanks when you can actually see into them and it's just having that unobstructed view of the aquariums is just really really nice so when i'm just over just over it when it comes to like actually running the business and doing all the other stuff yeah that that's definitely the number one thing that i look to do It's just the most brainless activity that delivers like some pretty good results um, and the other thing that I like to do when I'm in a more social situation is to talk shop with um, other store owners and people in the industry because it, sometimes it's hard to I guess commiserate over just you had a bad interaction with a customer you had a bad interaction with a supplier some nonsense is going on and so just yeah just sitting back and just talking shop is really helpful that was a really great answer bro
1: that was a really (laughs) awesome answer um it's a great way to warm up and i i really uh identify with what you said about as far as cleaning the glass because um evan and i we both like to do it but evan does it more often and he's been out of town for a couple weeks and so you know in preparation for your visit i wanted the place to look like a museum like you described and um it's, it's a way to synchronize with your aquarium, you know? Not only is everything presentable, but as you're cleaning you know, areas of the glass, you're seeing that coral, you're seeing that coral, and every time you scrape it off, it's just incredibly rewarding. You can see your tank a lot better. Um, and now, for me, it's always in the back of my mind of how, I think it was Julian Sprung Articles way back in the day, talked about how basically wiping down your tank is like feeding your tank phytoplankton you know it's there's some nutritious aspect to that glass but that, that you couldn't have come up with a better answer as far as uh, you know wiping down the glass um we have a substantial tool set here for different glass scraping needs i don't know if we got a chance to show you that but what are some of your favorite uh or preferred uh Glass cleaning tools. You know, are you a, a
0: scrubby pad kind of guy or a blade kind of so guy? I, um, t- for me to get the job done the absolute fastest, it's a metal blade against glass. We don't we don't have a ton of acrylic, so we can go pretty hard on like just like the regular metal scraper blades. I think that like the Continuum brand, I think is yeah. what we typically use. Lately, um, I've given Julian Sprung's uh, scraper a try uh... it's and that's really nicer for a couple of our show tanks which tend to be deeper and when to get to that little bottom bit of a twenty four inch deep tank you need to be putting in some some good i guess like leverage against the glass right and some of the other scrapers aren't quite as rigid as like the the stainless steel one that that julian has so we've been messing with that there's always a magnet scraper on every single tank, just in case anybody feels motivated to, to use one Uh, And we're currently using like the Flipper Max Floats, which we're pretty happy with so far. Um, Yeah, I mean, we use, depending on the thickness of the glass
1: and what grows on it, we use just about every kind of magnets. Definitely uh, lean towards the um, Flipper brands and the Tunze Care Magnet brands, and also mix and match. So we'll have the external of one and the internal of the other. Recently, I had to take the floats off my Tunze Care Magnets because some of my corals are getting so close to the glass in anticipation for your visit i had to really wanted to clean in between those corals that were getting close. So i took the float off and i was watching down the edge but i don't want to talk just about scraping i would be remiss if i didn't mention paint scrapers this is something that, that uh mark has mentioned many times is, is like a long not quite razor blade that you can get but it's really wide and it's going to mm. give you you know just really broad feel so that's for mark who is uh, not participating in this one, and he's gonna get to enjoy it, but I know in the background he's gonna be like,
0: paint scrapers, paint scrapers for <laughs> Maybe glass. Maybe next time. One thing that I did notice, so one last little point about scraping, is when it's like really heavy coralline and stuff like that, sometimes we'll actually go with the razor blades, but I've noticed that razor blades do scratch glass tanks. So we've got to
1: have them in a real, you know, high angle, you can't, a real small angle so they're not catching because there's definitely that
0: scratch potential. We pumped the brakes on doing that because it's like, you know what, this isn't good. So we went back to the, our regular methods. I do want to spend most of uh, our session
1: of uh, therapeutic reef discussion talking about your stuff and your efforts and tidal gardens, Um, but just kind of warm up a little bit. You know, you've had an orientation day at the studio yesterday and on your back today, Very very nice, very
0: nice. You know, what are some descriptive things you could say about the studio? So, where to begin? I'd like, well, first of all, good job cleaning. Very nice, very spotless. Um, One thing that I did notice is that there are themes to certain tanks. There's clear themes. And one of the things that, um, I I don't know if boredom is the right word for it, but there is this... Aesthetic sameness that I see in a lot of reef tanks because usually a person only has one reef tank and they fill it with their favorite stuff that they've they ever seen. They have neighborhoods, right? Though they they might try, but and sometimes will, well, in a three foot long tank, I mean, it's four inches away. You know, like what what could really be you know separated out? But when you have nine, ten different show tanks, you can creatively separate things so just looking around here i can see like there's like a more sps dominated tank there is an anemone tank there is a non-photo tank there is one that's like very heavy in like the affiliate and Fimbryophilia. yeah just looking around there's there's certain pockets of just a a very clear aesthetic vision going on and even the, there's like a super high-end lower light lower temperature um, tank filled with like uh, the heck are those LPS like, yeah ba- basically like a, a smorgasbord of, of like high-end LPS like very cool stuff um, especially like the sinarinas and the endophilias things like that so that was like the, the thing that jumped out at me on the less tank related things I noticed how quiet the, r- the space is and that obviously is like a big deal to me i've talked about it ad nauseum
1: i remember the one video you did specifically about it and i was just right there like
0: amen preach huh? preach brother preach. and in in a space like this that is essentially a rectangle it's very challenging to control sound uh an- another thing sound related that's super different about uh, the Reef Builder Studio versus Tidal Gardens, is that Jake is constantly listening to music. Constantly, he in, he actually installed a really advanced audio system. Sounds great uh, playing music through here. It has a very chill vibe. Um, music is essentially banned at Tidal Gardens because no one will agree on what to play. No, no. Well, definitely that too. Because you know that. Okay, I, I'm not a country music fan. I don't want to hear it, <laughs> but, but the, the, the main reason is we have like 10,000 devices. At any given time, one of them is failing and melting down. Go find it. And so I, I let the guys use like headphones if they, if they want. Because if they, if they want to sacrifice their ears for the cause, fine. But I can't have you eliminating everybody else's ears also. Understood. So yeah, headphones are okay but no just like turning on your phone and just blasting music as you walk through the whole place. There's, there's plenty of opportunity for us to be in the studio without
1: any music, but I, I, could, I can hear the smallest little thing. I can tell you if it's a fan, I can tell you if it's a pump, I can tell you if it's a skimmer slurping or something, but this is something that's, because you can't put enough definition to it and, and explain it to someone, when you really know your tank, um, you know what sound it's supposed to make. It's making some sound, and it's gonna have a certain amount of volume and a certain amount of detail. And if either of those two are, are off, that is one of the first like, key identifiers that something
0: is, needs servicing. Oh yeah. It's like, that does not sound right at yeah. all. And, and the way that our place is, you can hear, you can hear the odd sounding thing from very far away and it's just, at that point it's a matter of like tracking it down and everybody has like the same reaction to the weird sound whenever when, when we walk in so like if for example we have like a, a lot of DeWalt tools and there's like a DeWalt charger and one of the DeWalt chargers has like a little fan on it and when you you know you're, you're charging a little battery and that fan comes on it sounds so alien because you're not used to hearing it. it's like what's wrong what's wrong find it you know, there's something wrong so yeah, it's When I
1: leave town for a week or more, or I just got back from Australia and New Caledonia for like three weeks, when I walk in, I am using my ears. I'm less than my eyes. You know, you'd think you want to come and live. My first thing is just like kind of close my eyes and, and just really listen to the soundscape. And I can hear, and know certain things are going to be gurgling from needing maintenance or whatever. Um, but yeah, I use the sound first. And it's
0: always like, does it sound right? Okay, then we're good. Now we're good. (laughs) (laughs) The worst thing, so the thing that comes in before sound, you really don't want is the smell. Oh, yeah, (laughs) no. That is absolutely unacceptable. Oh, God.
1: You know, there's a a small subset of the population that will appreciate the smell of healthy Acropora. You know, some of these tanks right here that are full of Acros, if we're working on them a little bit, there's a good Acro smell coming off of them. Someone said it was like almonds or just close to arsenic but on the flip side of a couple of weeks ago i got an order of of corals on behalf of someone else and the coral the, the the water was you know opaque and it was brown mm. and it was the right temperature but when i opened it up it was the opposite of that smell and that smell lingered for like two days until we took the trash out it was really bad but yeah no it smells it's not something you yeah want to when your place smells
0: wrong oh
1: you know it's yeah. bad bad yeah very very bad um so i'm gonna do the same thing for you when i come to visit but it's it's impossible it's not even challenging it's impossible to encapsulate any space it doesn't have to be my studio it doesn't have to be your farm but it's hard to show it off all all at once and get people that full experience so i'd like to think that you've watched a few reef builders videos ever you know and you must have had some impression of what the space was like when you walk in and you see it all together, how is that different from like, the picture that you
0: paint? It's surprisingly close. I think that you did a pretty good job of capturing what it does look like, yeah. because uh, a lot of your footage, uh, you do a lot of handheld work, and moving through the space, okay. you, get, you get an idea. It, it wasn't a situation where it's like, oh, I didn't realize that Tank was here, in my brain, I thought it was like way over there. No, I didn't get that. Okay uh occasionally like because sometimes uh, in, in my videos i hyper focus on a certain tank and i will just you know talk about this tank this tank this tank this tank and i don't often show it in the context of the rest of the building so occasionally people do um say you know what i, I really thought that this the, the entire floor layout was different there are a couple of like walkthrough things, but no, as far as like your studio here goes, um, I-, I pretty much got an idea of where and what everything was going to look like. I am surprised though at the number of freshwater tanks in here. Like, I typically don't pay a ton of attention to, to the freshwater content so i was like kind of surprised to see there's like an angelfish tank there it looks like what rainbows that's, a, that's a
1: tank in development that's going to be discus oh, okay I'm just slowly you know what i'm so picky about my discus i haven't been able to just pull the trigger on the discus that i want to grow out you know for like four months
0: I haven't kept fresh freshwater in well over 20 years. I'm, I, I pointed to one of his things like, is that a beta? And he's like, nah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a beta macrostoma,
1: Brunei beauty. The male, it's funny because normally the male just looks like a picture and he's just right up front. He happens to be holding eggs in his mouth. For the first time, I've, this is the first time I've been able to get him to hold eggs more than a day. He just, I don't know if it's female stresses him out. Yeah, so now he's hiding. But um, the the reason for the freshwater tanks is, I think you'll appreciate this. Saltwater aquariums are my life. They're my career. They're my job. Freshwater, I can do whatever I want. I don't have to share. I don't have to show off the unboxing. I don't have to show the development of the tank. I can just do. And along those same lines, you know, I started as a freshwater aquarist and just being so hyper-avid about aquariums in general I feel like it's incredibly important for us to learn from every discipline that is parallel to what we're doing. You know, hydroponic plant growth, bonsai trees, freshwater aquariums, planted aquascapes, koi ponds, even a little bit of aquaculture. You know, you want to find the latest keys and and, and tricks and breakthroughs. One community is not going to come up with all those tricks. And I think one of the best examples of that is the automatic filter roll. I fell in love with those in 2010 when I first saw some large versions for ponds. Hmm. And Hmm. that's something I've been dreaming about hitting the reef aquarium scene for so long, or the general aquarium scene. And it's kind of strange to me that a a really high-end canister filter on a freshwater tank is gonna cost you 400 something dollars And it's it's incredibly, I mean, minimum for high end, like Rubble FS6 or Oase with a Thermo Plus, all the things.
0: Mm -hmm. And it's just
1: really, it's a modern take on a very old technology. But for around the same price or less, you can have the automatic collection of the waste. So I'm really shocked that automatic filter rolls haven't taken over fresh water before salt water.
0: Yeah, you would think that going from like, the pond industry to freshwater tanks would have been a yeah, faster, faster adoption.
1: Yeah, and I think the freshwater guys now are going to benefit from the saltwater uh, automatic filter rolls. But I use automatic filter rolls on two of my freshwater tanks, and I have six other, other filter rolls in my saltwater tanks. And so that's, that's the reason for the freshwater. And, you know, when you look at super highly fluorescent, colorful, just bombastic Photoshop-looking, real marine life, it's just kind of refreshing sometimes to see some goldfish or some discus or some plecos or some angelfish. It just really, it's almost the same as a reef tank. If your reef tank, if everything in your reef tank is three colors, super neon, super fluorescent, it just blends like zebra stripes.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: you know unless you're looking at it with a macro lens and so that's something you mentioned also about the reef tanks like i am very happy with like single brightly colored corals that just really catch your attention from across the room and i've always said it's important to have some supporting actors right if everything's super blitzy you know just burning your retinas it, it, everything doesn't blend but when you have a couple browner corals or gray corals or single color corals among your rainbows it breaks it up
0: yeah I forget the phrase but it's like uh, the, the sum is greater than the individual parts something to that extent and yeah sometimes like the the monochromatic corals just root the the entire aquascape yeah because if you had a five color rainbow everything the entire thing yeah just blends together well, into when you nonsense. back up it's brown right all those colors yeah.
1: mixed together just kind of blended from far away it's kind of brownish you have to get closer and closer and closer to see those yeah. those uh, smaller details And it's funny because i was i've been a, i've really been a fan of yours i have a lot of respect for you for a long time and i was thrilled when I you know started kicking off the studio for as a deliberate place to showcase corals and aquariums and equipment, and you started doing the same thing about the same time. I think you started building your building beforehand, and that took longer than you thought. always. but you started setting up the tanks at a similar timeline, so I was watching some of your videos about soundproofing about doing this. but when I was cleaning all the displays, I was thinking to myself, huh I, I, I'm not really coming up with like a, a mental a memory of your display tanks on purpose because you're a, a farm, you know, a mm-hmm. primarily a farm. And th- I, there's lots of ways to enjoy corals. And uh, so, yeah, I, w- I was really thinking about that. It's like, man, I want to see more
0: of the Tidal Gardens displays. Um, they're okay. <laughs> I wish that my displays were better, but unfortunately um, with Tidal Gardens the way that it is, it tends to uh, push off some of like the, the creative, fun aspects to like the end of the line. So there's all these, I guess, more boring day-to-day things, they just take priority. So it's gonna be like the actual aquaculture and farming aspects. It's gonna be the maintenance on pretty much all of those aquariums, all that equipment. And only if there's like a little bit of extra time Let's fiddle with uh, with uh, a display tank, and unfortunately, it be, it just becomes like pushed off as this afterthought. So we've never really said, you know what, this is going to be this amazing uh, aquarium. We're going to like dedicate a lot of resources to it. It's probably like eighth on the list of, of things. So we we do have a few um, show tanks here and there, but. I don't think that there's any one system that I would be like flag plant in the ground. This is what tidal gardens is really all about. This is our aesthetic and artistic um, like flagship statement thing that describes us. I think that if, if there is anything like that, it's the, it is the entire facility as a whole, but it's, it doesn't manifest down into a show tank specifically.
1: I you know you can you and I can really commiserate because when you're setting up one reef tank there's it comes with a certain amount of uh, you know challenges and effort when you're setting up uh, a dozen tanks be they display or for culture you almost have to think really holistically about the whole system so I feel like the reef aqua- the reef builder studio is the most complicated reef tank I've ever set up because everything kind of works together. We've got the supporting tanks over here. We've got, you know, the water vats and the water purification systems in a certain way. And uh, that's something I really, I know you feel me on this, you know, because like you're trying to set up a space and you're trying to make it quiet. And so it's just so much more than setting up a farm because we're both set up a space that is also, you know, uh, finely tuned for creating content.
0: Yeah, and I do like difference. that you
1: and I also have the similar motivations. We're not here to win YouTube. We're not here to get a million views, this or that. We're not here to go viral. If it happens, you know, I'll accept it. But we're here to create just really compelling content that someone can listen to or watch or take away 10 years from now. They'll be able to take this content and apply it to their aquariums. And so, yeah, no, it's just been really fascinating. It's uh, really awesome to have you here. Is there anything else you want to uh, remark uh, about the studio before I start diving into your side of what of, of you've been up to?
0: I always like to come into um, anybody's uh, show tank, or whatever they have going on, and look to see how healthy the corals are. Because sometimes when I'm in my own place, it's really easy to get into the mindset of, this is just how a certain coral looks. And that, that comfort level needs to be challenged every now and again. And it's really nice to like go to somebody's tank and see something that, that is doing way better than what's going on in my systems. And then that starts the, 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 the question and answer period. It's like, okay, well, let's start at the beginning. How are you doing this, that, and the other thing? and it's it's just going through that that little diagnostic because it's like i want to do stuff better generally right and certain some sometimes like the answer isn't all that helpful it's like i get i get the answer it's like well i cannot follow you down that path in the structured facility that i have what's an example of of what you're describing doing weekly icps on 15 tanks
1: and trying to hit Specific numbers on, on, on trace elements and trying to micromanage every well, but, single but one of those and, and
0: I can't micromanage because Here's um, this is gonna be a little into the weeds. I, I apologize. But let's for go audience. dude. That's but, what reef therapy is okay. for sure Tidal gardens is what I would I think is described as a second-order problem so I Cannot act as a tyrant to make sure everything is exactly the way that I want it to be. There is a way that I would like it to be, but I can't... um, But I can't approach it as me micromanaging everybody and everything. There's just entirely too much going on. It's like steering a ship. Exactly. You know, you have to hope it's going mostly in the direction you want, the
1: speed that you want. But if a couple portholes were open, or if, you know, just a couple of things are
0: out of whack, you you just have to push forward. So, tidal gardens is a framework and an infrastructure for success in what we're trying to do. But the individual people that work there uh, have a lot of leeway. To get those jobs done, so I can't always be on top of them every little bit, and in some cases, it's, I shouldn't be doing that because honestly, they might even be quite a bit better than you me. You might be getting in their way. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, to the point where they were joking that because um, we were even talking about aptasia farming for a nudie bronk culture, right? And I was like, well, I can just do this, and they're like, no, 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 no. Why don't you not do this? I'm like, you don't think I can grow aptasia? Like, are you freaking kidding? Do you know who I am? Do you <laughs> know who I am? Do you know? Okay guys I can I can handle this okay I can I can do this at the very least and they're like why don't you settle down why don't you go back to your office <laughs> but yeah but again going back to that whole second order stuff um I you can only control so much and you can just kinda have to like again put in the the, the systems in place and hopefully you have the people doing the right things in the right place and time for everything
1: for me retirement
0: looks like having
1: one or only two or three tanks, right? And be able to make those as good as possible. I am a little bit envious of the folks who can be very OCD about certain metrics and certain parameters. And yeah, same here. I'm just trying to bring the overall average of every tank and coral and fish in a general direction of health and vitality and just well-being. So I totally understand that. I also understand, you know, like there's certain things that your staff has been doing More and more, longer and more repetitively than you. Once in a while, you're like, "No, why are you doing it like this?" And you're thinking a couple steps ahead, and you might, you know, chew them out a little bit. And then when they you give them the opportunity to explain themselves, they're like three or four steps ahead. You're like, you know what? Let me just back out of
0: the kitchen here. You guys are cooking this this special sauce. Let me just get out the way. Yeah, there's definitely some some instances of that where, like, I have an idea of like, for example, there was a situation of we were putting together. Kalkwasser dosing systems. And it, it, the real, real simple thing, but um, it's where does the intake line go into basically a trash can? Does it go into the side of the trash can towards the top or does it go into the lid? And the correct answer is it goes into the lid because oh, it, it, it does because <laughs> our, yeah, he's, he's shaking his head. No, it goes into the lid because the way that we would be doing this activity is we would have multiple trash cans and so we would actually pre-mix the next one the day before so when it comes time to transition from the empty one to the full one you just take the lid and then you plop it under the next one and you roll that other one 50 feet away back to the RO fill up and you make the next batch of calc.
1: Oh, Okay, so you're making
0: a, a, yeah. a bulk
1: batch that's feeding multiple tanks.
0: No, just one. We do 20 gallons a day Oh, okay. in, into one system. Because I have
1: one barrel of fresh water that's feeding all the calc reactors. Mm-hmm. So mine, Pulse, yeah, you no, know, it's, it's stuff like that. You know what? That it's stuff like this is a, that. This is a great opportunity to uh, get, show a little respect for all the uncelebrated algae scrubbers out into the world, whether you work at an aquarium store, service company coral farm and you're listening to reef therapy while you're doing some you know therapeutic algae cleaning we salute you guys we started there i know i did working in aquarium shops and uh i want you to know that you guys are celebrated and you're loved and you're valued
0: (laughs) we are all like glorified dishwashers right really what it comes down to like I, i think that people that are uh that that look up to a really 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 nice studio like what we have at reef builders or like a coral farm like what i have and they think that it's a glamorous thing it's really not it's not at all it's a lot of it's a lot of elbow grease it's also a
1: lot of uh,
0: like balancing a lot of plates right Mm -hmm.
1: and if just one little plate falls off man you could just lose that balance and it's not as precipitous as i describe right now but it's just you know, because you got to have a this uh, autopilot mindset where you, you're never not thinking about it to some degree, right? Just it's it's very rare to just completely walk away. So we've talked a little bit about the Reef Builder Studio, and I I don't really know the complete history of Tidal Gardens. You know, it's strange. There's certain companies that uh provide coral frags that have been around for a really long time and you know their names you know you know the cherries you know the tsa's you know the dr max now pacific east aquaculture the vivids the uniques but i don't know if your your client base is a little bit more localized but it's only really in the last couple of years that i've heard more from people across the country who are getting orders from tidal gardens so where do you start telling the story about tg like because you have you started with a, a farm an outdoor
0: farm right yeah well i think that the tidal gardens is a is a really different thing depending on when you're talking about it let's just let's let's, let's wind it back to the beginning so okay. when did
1: you start your coral farm right your first coral
0: farm the nursery the was it it was, a greenhouse yeah it's way back in 2002 That's when you started, so 20 years ago? Yeah, it's 20 years ago. Tidal Gardens is 20 years old. But Tidal Gardens of even 10 years ago is practically unrecognizable from what it is now. And for the longest time, it was just this background noise side hustle. It was no joke. I, I would only go back to the greenhouse to do anything with the aquariums three days a week for two hours each time. Like, it was just a nothing Thing for five to ten years, and uh, so we weren't going to be like big on, in like the mental like ethos of the aquarium industry because simply we weren't big time at all. It was this this might completely fail and blow up sort of situation. It actually did blow up a couple of times. Uh, blow up, good or bad? Horrifically blow up. Like <laughs> for example, in um, I think it was like in. 2017 I, should I, I, I forget but basically what happened was the entire greenhouse the heating system failed and I wasn't even able to get to the, the greenhouse because the, the roads were so destroyed from like the snowstorm that it took me three days to get back out there uh, the heater failed everything died Entire greenhouse. Five facility. years ago, you lost everything. Uh, was it five years? No, I think it's it's 2012, maybe. Okay, so ten years ago, you
1: had to start all over. Pretty much, yeah. Ooh.
0: Yeah, but like, and, and that that's when like I was ready to quit the whole thing, and my parents actually talked me back into it, and they were like, no, let, let's try this again. We we have the greenhouse. We'll improve some things so this this situation doesn't happen again, and yeah, that that you know got me back into it. Um, but the other thing is we were only able to scale up once we started bringing in help and that was like the biggest thing Because could before it was it was just like a one-man show and eventually you know I, I got some little bit of help from family and friends but then it was really when we started to add staff that things started to take off and the, the biggest step would then be the new facility and that changed everything because now you're able to recruit like real deal employees, not just like a backyard side project. And then that's been only, only going on for like the last like four years, I would you say. You know, I
1: think a lot of people knew about you and they knew who you were. I think you're still a little bit isolated and you're just more local, more regional than like national. But then when you start putting out your videos of your like mega massive on site, like new facility, that was just, it was built, with something else in mind. It wasn't just like pure, like how little can we throw down to make the most corals possible. And that's, that's really kind of something I really relate with you is, uh, you know, like the sound system. That's not helping me in any way as far as producing content. It's just, this is my, my peace of mind. So I've, I've appreciated some of your videos of where like just going out of your way to drop, you know, major coin on your, uh, you know, modular mo- aluminum stance you know, or your your electricity switcher
0: or, you know, silencing those things. So. Right. Because you're spending at least eight hours a day at this point. It
1: shows a certain level of commitment when you are taking things to the nth degree, several degrees past what is required for like pretty good operation. Um, So I'm curious, you know, uh, before we talk about kind of like the, the big facility and what it's like now, which I haven't seen other than on video, what are what are some of the stark differences between when you set up the uh greenhouse is that is it called the greenhouse yeah let's call
0: it the, the greenhouse and then the new building let's yeah just
1: so what are, you know like because i imagine you set up the greenhouse i mean imagine you set up the greenhouse with available technology you know metal halides and mm-hmm. reflow pumps and power heads and kind of just basic calcium reactors so and then yeah. you know but so tell us what it was like What's the difference, really, between when you set up the nursery and then now we set up the new facility,
0: which needs a catch-all name. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't call it the Tide Pool, we, because we, we usually are, we're, like, we're like bad at naming stuff. Like, there's like an outside uh, cat that comes by, and we named it Outside Kitty. Like, <laughs> we're, we're bad at naming <laughs> stuff. So, so it's not my fault for all the co- colorful coral names. Definitely, it wasn't us. Can I just, we have the Euphelia Garden
1: the kitchen sink, the jewelry box, <laughs> the chalice palace, the shroom room, the flagship, the hardline Those Hokie, sound way better than stuff that we The fat cube. <laughs> yeah, we try to, because I don't want to make it descriptive. And I don't name corals until like I'm about to
0: frag it and have a bunch of pieces. That's funny. Um, anyway, back to your facility. Okay, so how, how is it different? Um, the greenhouse originally started with stuff that we could afford. Uh, so it was like, what is the cheapest cost per gallon containers you can get that are robust it's going to be a rubbermaid stock tank all day every day they're 67 cents per gallon you can stand on the rim of it you can gore it with cow horns or bull horns because that's what they were made for that sort of stuff you can drill them easily as things progressed there's like the, all these different lessons that you learn um, things like being able to look down and into a tank is great, except for the fact that there's flow that distorts the image, and you can you really don't get a great sense of what's under the, under the surface. Uh, it's way better to look through the side of a glass aquarium. That kind of stuff. Um, things like oh, well, having a triple decker thing is wonderful as a space management thing, but it's absolutely horrific to work day to day. Terrible experience. It's a terrible employee experience, it's a t- well, especially if you're the one doing all the work. It's terrible. But it's, it's worse for the employee and what will happen if you have staff is that the middle layer gets cleaned and yeah. the top and the bottom get ignored, things like that. Um, so a lot of what happens in the new building was based off of 20 something years of mistakes or little things that you thought was a good idea, but just wasn't gonna work out in the greenhouse, uh, things like that. So it's a lot of lessons learned and it's a highly iterative process. Do you have even any
1: layers at your new space?
0: No. Everything well, is just middle. Okay, we, we have like a, a triple decker fish quarantine system and even that's trash. Like I, I'd go back to like doing single layer for that. That was done like in a weekend just cause just. Cause. But I remember that video. But as far as all of like the the coral stuff, one level, period, no exceptions.
1: Yeah. No, I, I, I totally understand where you're coming from and it's natural and very human to be like, okay, let's, you know, maximize the production per square foot, mm-hmm. you know, because that's gonna reduce your expenses per coral and so yeah absolutely
0: i'll give you another um, little anecdote about how not focused we are on that Um, we prioritize the the design of the facility for people it is it is actually not a coral farm first in design it is all about people and humans working in that space so the, I think a lot of times when people approach a floor plan, they're like, how many tanks can I put into this thing? How much, how much square footage can I allocate? You tanks? see that at aquarium stores, right? Sure. What aquarium store has a single row of fish tanks, right?
1: It's gonna be two rows, it's gonna be three rows. And just, just like you, you know, everything here is a display, The only thing that's Mm -hmm. multi-tiered is is the former quarantine tank for fish because it just needs to be super functional. But then once I finished it up, I'm like, okay, anemones at the top, LPS in the middle, shrooms and chalices on the bottom. And the clearance between one another really affects how well we can clean them and
0: how little
1: we enjoy actually
0: cleaning. Yeah, it's awful. It's awful. (laughs) But like, so when I'm putting together my my game plan slash floor plan, The stuff i'm prioritizing is like okay how big are the walkways like the men the main central walkway is six feet wide because it helps to be able to like move large objects through six foot space Um, how much space do you have between the tanks like the walkways how much space do you have between the tank and the workstation how big is the workstation is there access to a sink within six feet is there access to anything that you want to look and grab within five feet or, or else if you have to walk across a one hundred and something foot building to find something to work on like the like a, a tool for example right. that's a problem like the, there's all these little pain points and so we were very human being focused when we were putting together everything uh... and just the the number of sinks uh, i think that on the first floor there's at least six or seven sinks
1: <laughs> you must have laughed when i was boasting about having three sinks it got the thing. hand washing sink the dishwashing sink and the skimmer washing sink and you're just chuckling eternally as like i got
0: that many per floor <laughs> yeah it's it, it, it is a matter of i don't want you to have to walk very far if you're trying to get something done that's right. mainly
1: so that, that's real i really resonate with what you're saying, but I guess from a little bit more of a a hobbyist point of view, how did the technology change
0: from one of the other? Oh my gosh. Just because you you must have started with halides in your nursery? Yeah, halides, well, no, no, no. The whole point of a greenhouse was you didn't need artificial light. You have the perfect light on the perfect timer. Fill in the blank, right? It'll save you all this electricity because you're not running 400 watt halides. We were even going into the Wii... Like, oh, by the way, when I first started off, there was no joke five things plugged in in the entire greenhouse. So our electrical capacity was like nothing. A regular reef tank with just no we, lights. And it just happens to be in, in like a 1,300-square-foot greenhouse, right? Did you, did you visit
1: Tropicorium
0: to yeah. just get... You did? Yeah. To, to get some, like, cliff notes? Eh, give or take, yeah. And everybody thinks that... The, the, this is like the, the hubris of starting your own thing. Everybody thinks, "Oh, I can do that, but cheaper and better." The, the important thing is to make it actually work first. Then you can try to cut costs later. Mm-hmm. For anybody else that wants to try this sort of thing, you need to make sure that you're not going to kill everything on the worst day of the year, which happens twice: on the super hot day and on the super cold day. Yeah. But when we were doing all of our math. I mean, LEDs on a commercial scale weren't available. So all of the, the mathematics of why we're even doing anything in a greenhouse uh, fell apart when you have high efficiency LEDs and high efficiency pumps. Because previous to that, you know, it's, it's a walkies, right? Your, so all the, the, the electrical calculations of what you could save by doing this all in a greenhouse just fell apart after a few years. We were even going as far as doing airlifts to move Tropicorium style. Yeah, Tropicorium style to move water. We had, we had, you know, underground piping and everything like that for air to then distribute to the How did know, the, the that work? Airlifts? Yeah. Splashy and salt creepy. I mean, did it move the kind of water you're needed? It, it, an airlift will move a monstrous amount of water. Yeah. Yeah. It for acros and SPS. Did you still have like buildup well, of detritus in certain places? I, I can't tell you that because we weren't able to keep acropora because of the sun. It's too much, or too little. Yeah, it, it varied so much from it, one to the other. The, the 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 variation in sunlight was the biggest problem. So the greenhouse to to to. Um, to take advantage of the perfect light on the perfect timer turns out to be the biggest liability because you need consistent lighting more than anything else. Consistent. I have visited not consistent. Tropicorium but some other coral farms and that was the biggest challenge
1: having a supplemental lighting in the wintertime and then just lots and lots of shading in the summertime mm-hmm. from just sheer exposure. Yeah. And um, so I imagine you, you like being in control not a control freak but you like knowing what you're getting into right and so god i can't, I can't even imagine you know your your place is an order of magnitude not, not quite an order of magnitude but it's like two to three times more scale than than the studio so i know how much i put into mine and how much you must have put into yours must have been just looking forward to just a just such a much better day when you knew you were going to moving into a facility where you knew what the flow was going to be, you knew what the temperature was going to be, you knew what the what the lighting was going to be, for sure. Before we jump into your new facility, what was the
0: greenhouse good at? The greenhouse, what was it good at? So believe it or not, it did really well growing coral. Like, it, it produced a ton of really good corals. The... Um, the, the, also, the really nice thing about having it be not a conventional structure and having it be greenhouse base is how industrial everything is, so you could literally hose the entire thing down, and it's not a big deal. There's so much air movement, it'll dry out in like five minutes. Uh, you could do stuff you, that you would never, ever, ever do in a warehouse, like you would instantly get black mold and the whole thing would be like party's over not in a greenhouse you can get with a lot of like just splashy gross what stuff. were some
1: of the uh, do you, so you, do you mostly or primarily culture corals you don't fuss you know with algae macroalgae sponges you're your coral
0: guy 99% coral yeah okay uh, cuz what, the, are, some, the, the, what the, are some corals that thrived in the greenhouse the stuff that thrived in the greenhouse, boy. Because like, part of it is like everything is still thriving because <laughs> it's, it's still in operation. But the stuff like, like back in the day when we didn't have basically tons and tons of radions over all the tanks, where we didn't have blackout shades, so it's basically a barely functional greenhouse for greenhouse purposes. Um, back then, a lot of stuff that did well, what were th- a lot of LPS, a lot of soft corals, um, the, the sort of stuff that, basically anything that wasn't an acro specifically, did well out of the greenhouse. I it would have been challenging for the acroporas to just constantly
1: be adjusting their zozantheli density throughout mm-hmm. the year,
0: just back and forth, back and forth. We would have like seasons where we could sell acros. It would be like, it's going to be in the winter time from this month to this month. And then it's going like, to lose its color come spring, it's going to struggle in the summer. In the fall, it'll start I to could like... To, I could have I could've guessed that. Yeah. So we, we would literally have like, okay, this batch of acros, we can now move at this time. And certain, certain corals were just like that. They're, they're kind of like this uh, seasonal thing for us. So. Now you have a multi-million dollar facility? I haven't counted. It's a lot. <laughs> well. I would, forget some, I would forget a literal six-figure bill at this point. Like, oh, I totally forgot about that. Thanks for the PTSD. Yeah. Like, it, it, it's getting to that All scale. All right, so it's now you have
1: a state-of-the-art, coral culturing facility of your, of your dreams. Why do you still have the nursery,
0: the um, greenhouse? So right now, okay. Great question, because wh- what I would like to actually do is to take all the tanks out of it and rebuild it similar to what I have in the new building, but just using the original shell, right? And we can't do it because of all the flipping corals that are still there that are doing great, and we have no home for It thousand- took you years to get them to that point. You can't just toss them out on the street. Jay, there's or just. there's 5,000 gallons in there packed full of corals like that building still generates a huge percentage of our revenue so so this (laughs) is that sting a little bit though that you've
1: just now you've got the greenhouse just really dialed in you've got this other facility but you can't let
0: go of the greenhouse well okay so a couple of things when when people always ask like why don't you just tear it down and start over one thing is like the sentimentality because this building dragged me out of corporate hell, which I was not, I, I, you know, I, did, I did a good job, but it is not what I was meant to do, right? So it got me out of the corporate rat race and into entrepreneurial um, nirvana comparatively. The second thing is um, whatever, I, I always pose this question, like how much money would it take for this greenhouse to justify its existence I promise you what the real number is, is vastly more than the number in your head. Like, it is a highly productive thing. Even though it's not ideal, even though it's rough, it's 20 years old. I promise it is carrying heavy weight at Tidal Gardens. Nice, very nice.
1: So from like, not groundbreaking but from the time like the the structure the shell was complete we're talking about the new facility yeah to the time you started making some corals in there what did that journey look like um
0: not great (laughs) so i was the general contractor for this build by accident i thought we had a general contractor we did not we had a builder and one day he's like hey you need to go get the plumber i'm like what do you mean i have to go get the plumber like i just signed the checks right that sort of thing he's like no 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 i'm the builder you need to get an electrician you need to get a plumber you need to get so and so we need to do all this other stuff and let me know when that stuff is ready so you had to
1: learn how to run a job site
0: uh yeah literally as the building is going up. A
1: little bit too much, right? You didn't expect to be learning so much about electrical, about right. plumbing, about structure,
0: yeah. about and codes. Right, and, and then you to th- learn all this, this stuff. is all happening um, while I'm also still running the business. So this is like a second 40 hour a week job that just got bolted on to my my regular day to day and suddenly I'm the one that's like calling people saying hey are you gonna show up today to like install such and such hey the other guy is waiting for you to get done with such and such are you gonna show up hey there's an inspection you better be here for the inspect. it was that for three years and now only now are we finally tapering off of a lot of that it's but it's it's been like yeah it's like development hell you started from scratch you know it was you, a dirt you patch. had to do
1: like the foundation and uh, yeah you know, i i we're we're right at the four-year mark a little past four years and i just i know that feeling now that we're like oh i don't have to hustle to build this thing so i can do this thing so i can actually set up a, a reef tank and we're really getting to the point now where i can think about redoing some reef tanks and just yeah. doing the thing we set out to do and so i imagine you're
0: in that area now. Where it, it, it's, it's, al- it's almost there. There's still little side projects always, here and there. Always a little. You're expanding on some, some other thing, maybe. But yeah, it, it, is, it is the first time that I would consider having guests over in earnest to actually show them a roughly finished product. Um, and that is, that is truly a wonderful feeling. I know
1: that there's probably a lot of uh just private aquarists who have you know one or two tanks just one tank who are listening to reef therapy and they might not really understand or see the connection between just a personal you know home residential reef aquarium and what you're doing at scale what we're both doing at scale but when you as a veteran of 20 plus years went through your own aquariums went through your greenhouse Phase and you're doing something commercially, when you say you're gonna pull the trigger on doing dozens of aquariums one particular way, that, that, that should give some feedback, some food for thought for the home aquarists. So along those lines, one thing that I noticed that I was kind of really surprised by because closed loops have really fallen out of favor you know i've got double closed loops on my eight foot mm-hmm. tank over here as i remember distinctively you set up a lot of tanks with closed loops Lots instead of, them. of power heads. yeah where how did you come to that uh realization or decision for your undertaking
0: yeah so there's a couple of things in the thought process there. And just to be clear, if you're not familiar with what a closed loop is, you
1: know, in our aquariums, we put in a power head, a Vortec, and it's just a dedicated piece of equipment that will create flow inside the aquarium, separate from your return pump. And the closed loop is basically the same as your return pump, but it pulls and returns from the tank without
0: an open section in your sump. So just in case you don't know what a closed loop is, there you go. Essentially, it's two holes in your tank one of the holes sucks water in the other hole blows stuff out you you got there somehow i want to know what that thought process was okay so <laughs> it's it's a little bit better than your airlifts it is definitely better it's <laughs> certainly more expensive i'll tell you that it's certainly more like uh quieter can be can, can be, be quieter, quieter definitely less splashy most of the time um but my thought process there was again kind of coming down to like uh, the the human element of doing maintenance on these things because we were doing a lot of regular cleaning of powerheads in an aquarium because there's tons and tons of pumps but my thinking was it just it is nice to deal with a dry pump that doesn't have algae on all the unions and you have to like drag it out of an aquarium you know just dripping wet uh, it's you went so far as to create drip trays. Yes. Underneath your tanks
1: everywhere. I yes. I have to confess I judged you a little bit for that. Cuz I thought they're they, wonderful. I thought they I thought it was mostly to catch the the p- potential leaks, you know, but as I got to know you a little bit more, I understood that it has a wider purpose.
0: They literally incredible. have trays
1: built into every place that you have a closed loop pump. So that way when you disconnect it, the water can just, the excess water can just drip right there. Right there, you've, you
0: shop back it up, it, Um It So that must have been quite the endeavor because
1: setting up a closed loop, you know, if you want to put a power head in there, you put a power head in there, right? It's got a hang on bracket or it's got a magnetic bracket. Boom, bada bing, you're, you're done. You know and it's flexible if you want to try a different pump you try a different pump but you want to go to closed loop you have to think way ahead you have to have the tank drilled are your tanks drilled on the bottom
0: bottoms that, Yeah. well yeah, so that's inside ex- in some
1: cases and that's an extra extra like you have mm-hmm. to make sure the bottom's not tempered then you have to throw all the plumbing at it and then mm-hmm. figure out what
0: pump and then what nozzles that's a lot of really yeah.
1: thinking ahead
0: and uh, you know I don't I wouldn't say that we even have figured everything else out we're still experimenting with it cuz there there's a lot of customization that can go into it uh for example like as soon as uh, you get into that that output bulkhead you, the, the world is your oyster. What would you like to do? Would you like to send it up into a five way cross and then have like flock line pointed at everything? Do you want it to just be one giant thing? Do you want to put a giant thing in a, a penductor or eductor to, to do a very specific? Don't forget the clover nozzle. The clover nozzles, yeah. Like you can do a, basically whatever plumbing squid thing you can think of, you can do now. So there's a lot of room for for um, changing things up. You Customization. Can, you can just tweak this thing forever, right? It's yeah. plumbing, um, but the the core is a highly serviceable pump underneath. And again, you can upsize that, you can downsize that, you can, you know, obviously.
1: I love that it it's more work, it costs more, it was all took a lot longer to install, and at the end of the day, you're probably gaining. Just a lot more flexibility. That's the major, major advantage, right? To the
0: point. And a minor advantage is there's no cords in your tank. <laughs> <laughs> Was that one of your driving forces? Sure. Really? So when, when you finally come and do see my system, I'm going to point to a pump and I'm, I'm going to ask you, where is this plugged in? And it, in the, the lengths that we went to, to hide cabling is nuts. You see, no, he, here. you he did a good I, job, I, yeah. I, did, I, I, I achieved
1: that from a different angle, but you'll see, I always say, all right, this is a five foot tank at four and a half feet of uninterrupted reef. That's a six foot tank, got five and a half feet of uninterrupted reef, and there's just little cores, but yeah, I do appreciate that aesthetic. And so yeah, it's, it's really refreshing to see an enterprise like yours, really put a lot on the the human interaction. Not just pure display, not just sheer like profit, how much coral polyps can we squeeze out per square foot. I want to talk a little bit more about the livestock side of things, but um, uh, tell me a little bit about how your relationship to lighting changed, going from a greenhouse whose lighting you needed to, adjust and manipulate throughout the year especially at the uh solstices and then going into a warehouse space where all the lighting was provided i I, I do really appreciate how many different types of light you experiment with that my only criticism is i think you could experiment a little bit more you know but it's cool to see how you have so much your your lights are mounted so high so like stupidly high no fence just definitely a, a little bit of judgment passing on how you mount your lights three or four feet above the tank which necessitates you needing more lights um, but getting back to like the initial question what was your relationship like going from harvesting and managing natural light to going inside you know what are some things you thought you were going to do what are some of the things that you achieved and how has that evolved over the last two or
0: three years since you've been in this enclosed space so the greenhouse was already transitioning to being mainly artificially lit anyway. I remember soles, soles in there, right? There was, yeah, there's soles in there. There was, we, we did a bunch of like T5s. We did like good, expensive German ATI fixtures. We did the $100 Amazon fixtures. We did, uh, again, eh, they're, not, yeah, they're not good. Um, we did the entire gamut uh, of different types of artificial lighting in the greenhouse. But then moving to the new building, uh, we just, just just decided to just to go with radions more or less across the board um You're,
1: i think your lighting came in just a little bit after mine because when i started up it was like literally a few handful of months before the g5 dropped okay so i've got mostly g4s here i like, mostly g4s oh yeah. well, i thought i thought i saw a lot more g5s in your um, videos
0: no like i i would say that right now uh, well I, until very recently almost all of them were g4 and we, we, and we only have like a handful of G5s. And then once we put this last group of systems together, it's like 50 G5s. Did I, they're, they're up to G6? six. Yeah, G6. I, I own like two sample G6s that they said, try these out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm the same here. I have uh, 12, 15 G4s, two G5s, maybe three G6s. Yeah. I, so technically, the G4 might be the best light for our application because of how high we have it. Uh, situated above the tank, I will tell you exactly why we have the tanks or the lights that high above the tank, and it has nothing to do with the corals. It is about the ability of the staff to get all the way over a tank and reach down into it without hitting a light. It is clearance for a human being to get into a tank entirely, yeah. and so that means in some tanks you, we have to go with double the number of fixtures.
1: I know this is this is what it was like. I'm thinking when I see your lights mounted so high, they're non-directional. They're I'm just like you could literally grow corals between the tanks. There's so much light <laughs> spillage. If you yes. look at the mounting of my lights, I use almost exclusively, um, you know, wire hanging because you can really adjust the height, you can adjust the angle, and I can change it on the fly. But I also prioritize having a just a minimum of light spillage on the back. These are from my old school days of like, mm-hmm. you gotta harness every single photon, right? It was one of your most recent videos. I saw how bright it was between the tanks. And I'm like,
0: no, again, uh, oh, tidal gardens. Let me ask
1: you. Sure. total, Just slight question. I really, I'm trying to make a campaign for, Ecotech Marine has won like the wide diffuser Yeah, 110, 120, whatever angle they're up to. Diffuse lighting, lens that they have up there. Would you have interest in them offering a lens cluster that would tighten that back up again? Yeah, easily. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 I say it more conviction so that this can trickle up to <laughs> some ecotech marine folks. And they're like, yo, we need to make a tight angle. We heard, we heard Than and Reef Therapy saying we need a little bit tighter spectrum or
0: tighter beam angle for these
1: applications.
0: Sure, because it's for the for the applications where the lights are, are hung, hung, higher, and also you get more power out of like the more concentrated reflector so you can run the lights cooler and lower and you save electricity and you can hopefully better control the light spillage into your living room if that's something that bothers you not to
1: pick companies against each other but you know one of the things i love is the kessel has 110 degree beam angle natively you can add a wide angle that's uh 55 degrees and you're gonna add a narrow angle like here you can see it's beaming down 30 uh, four feet i think that one's 35 degrees and just you have the same light engine and just being able to put different tires on your car sure. for different applications. I think that's one of the things that it should there shouldn't be like a one spectrum, one intensity, one beam angle that's supposed to work for everyone.
0: Right. And I think that where a uh, like a Gen 6 Radeon would shine is in a more compact home aquarium where you have the light four inches off the off the surface of the water where you can get that it, the entire, what, 30 by 30 the square
1: the fluorescent
0: lighting even
1: light distribution has been like worshipped a little bit too much there's a lot going for it but it's just not the be all end all, it's not the, the last straw.
0: Yeah and again it's like the, the, the human element of somebody has to get into this tank it would be nice if the light was out of the way that yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. Um so i noticed in addition you're mostly radeon man you go are you the radeon pro or radeon blue kind of guy okay so again second order problem i like radeon pro um my one of the guys in my staff is like addicted to blue spectrum and he thinks that he only wants to light a tank with blue and so again i can't be a tyrant all the time be like listen put daylights on you know you have to pick your battles when working with all these people around right so i happen to like the aesthetic of a lot of daylight lighted tanks with a little bit of blue and some and i think a lot of people are the opposite they, they want mostly blue with like a, a hint of maybe we don't have to pick we don't yeah. have to choose anymore my tanks all start out the deepest blue
1: possible three hours of ramp up to something that's approaching daylight spectrum, that daylight spectrum will peak to close to like six to eight K, like a little too white for almost every taste. Mm -hmm. Then it goes back down, then I have another window. We don't have to pick. We can enjoy that dynamic lighting. That being said, my full on LPS tank, my chalice palace, my shroom room, they're all blue all the time. And it's just so much easier for me and for the corals, they, they, they show better color, they don't bleach out, but because it's a low energy environment and high nutrient condition, if I have just the touch of white lighting, it's hard to, to put enough grazers and algae eaters in those kinds of aquariums. You,
0: so you actually get more algae growth with whiter light? Well, yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. But the tanks that I
0: have bluer
1: light on are the tank, the corals that need prefer higher nutrients, right? Mushrooms, chalices, LPSs. So I can naturally keep those higher phosphates, higher nitrates. That's part of the reason that they're just all blue. Okay.
0: I don't know how like the lighting math works out. Cause I mean, back in the day with like metal halide and VHO, um, when you saw like a 6,500 Kelvin Iwasaki metal halide, it's a yellow looking bulb, super yellow. Um, That, when you actually look at the spectrum, has more blue spectrum than an actinic bulb of another make. But LED, that math doesn't translate because it's like, to make a white LED, it's really a blue LED with a white phosphor. So you're you're really just sending blue channel to everything and manipulating at the last second to get a whiter look. Well, part of the problem with that is that every manufacturer
1: if they have, well, if they have almost every single one, they'll use a cool white LED, which is that same problem. It's a big blue spike with a little bit of the red and green to kind of bounce it out. And Max-Spec was first at bringing warm whites to the game, to the table. And now warm whites are kind of standard in some of the nicer lights, and there's nothing else that will bring out the pinks and the purples of your bird's nest, of your poslipora, of your stylophora then warm white. You know, think of a cheap, compact fluorescent that you buy at home depot or lowe's and you plug it in i i I can remember so many situations where like the tank lights would be off and that light would still be on and the pink of the stylo would just like just be piercing Hmm. it's just really really lining up Um, so radions are your baseline what are some of the other lights that you've experimented with and really enjoy don't uh, just you can skip over
0: you can tell us about the ones you didn't really I don't, think th- I don't think that there's many that I disliked, really. Um, so wh- when I say I experiment, I put them over my tank. That is the end of the experiment. I mean, what else is there? Because like, I mean, I'm mean, i sure some people might actually take a measurement of some kind. Not this guy. Don't care. Ooh, perfect segue. Do you measure par? We do, but I, for, the, for decades I didn't. When and for, for what reason? So is a, uh, one of my staff was is is just huge on the measurement aspect he wants he wants the data so fine we'll collect the data but it's it's never been a huge thing for me
1: i only measure par at the extremes yeah i've only measured it in my aquapor tank where i have like six lights which is super overlap And during the middle of the day, I'll get a peak of 650 micromoles. And then, you know, occasionally I'll compare lights, but then on the really dim tank, that's where I'll also measure par. Just like I want to bump up against the edges, Mm. make sure I'm not going too far high and too far low. That's the only, and everything else, if it's, you know, 150 to 350 micromoles, I'm fine. I'm fine. Like I can eyeball it and I can watch the corals and I can increase the lighting intensity incrementally.
0: And get to the point where i want to be and a lot of corals will simply adapt to it if you give them a chance to yeah it's it's, lighting is one of those things at at this point with the stage of the technology it's a hard thing to screw up so i think that for the types of fixtures that we've we've uh, dabbled with so there's a there's a couple of neptune skies that we've tried we still have um there is we use kessels at our saw station if that counts um we have some Orfix, and we we even have the Orfix that are like the the stage lighting types yeah thankfully those are just made by another company and
1: they stick stick their, their are they out. really like, oh yeah mm-hmm. for sure I mean if there was a minute there where Giesemann, Max Spec, and Orphix had the exact same like thousand watt LED light fixture and you're like yeah. okay these are the same lights we're just Different control schemes, slightly different spread of LEDs, and you're like, all right, these are coming from some factory, and you put your name on it.
0: Possibly, Do yeah. Do you have any exotic
1: LED lights that you use on your tanks? Uh,
0: the exotic brand? No, not exotic, but just anything that's just kind of off the wall, like a GNC
1: that I know you were interested in trying.
0: Um, honestly, the only... So, no. Out of, out of what I just mentioned, nothing. Because, the, the, again, the vast majority currently is Radeon, um, but... The GNC got on my radar only because I'm friends with Brandy Camp, and like, uh, and she, you know, works with a company that that sells GNC stuff. And I I was like, I never heard of this. Like, don't you guys like worry about like, shout out to
1: Francois and Aquarium Partners. Yeah,
0: but do you guys worry about like I don't know, like patent or like try trademark infringement because there's another company that's called GNC. (laughs) Yeah, it's just different (laughs) industry, so yeah, yeah, I'm sure they're fine. But that was the first time that I heard of it. I'm like okay well there's there's one thing that i liked about the gnc uh and it plays back to the whole greenhouse thing is that the gnc is a giant heat sink and and leds underneath it and it's really nice to not have a moving part fan in a harsh environment like no gimmicks no primary optics just 488
1: freaking leds 180 watts it's i'll say this and everybody knows francois knows the best hardware with the like the just crippling software. And I know they're working on the dongle. Thankfully, it's not built into the fixture. It's wired up externally, so they could come up with a n- other module to really bring up to modern control standards or, you know, uh offload that to a third-party controller. But yeah, I feel really strongly about those. So, any any other um kind of technical things you'd want to describe or share with us about your,
0: you know, your 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 Coral Farm 2.0 that you've discovered along the way? Technical things. So we talked about closed loop, we talked a little bit about lighting. Um, Has your
1: your protein skimmer game changed from the greenhouse to the...
0: No, in fact, we're using basically the same protein skimmers, which are like the the Reef Octopus 8000s. For me, that skimmer is like a very, very, very good price point for a commercial-sized skimmer of acceptable build quality. I mean, I would love just to be like, Raj, I'm going to order like 10 skimmers from you. Orca Pro Force. But, like, and not even going with the Orcas. I mean, I want you to put a biz 400s on this thing. You know, like, let's go. But, like, but at the cost of that, I mean, do I want to spend 10 times the price on, when I know there is a skimmer out there that is, very up to the task with a very inexpensive pump that's replaceable that I've literally had to replace once ever, you know that that sort of thing. It's so
1: one thing that you mentioned is uh, you're spending your time here. You remarked on how quiet my pump yeah, skimmers are. Yeah, for sure, they're all DC, all, all but one are DC, uh, sine wave, you know, super silent. And so you're using a version of the Super Reef Octopus 8000 with the AC. Uh, Bubble Blaster? Bubble Blaster, 10,000. 10,000, right? Yeah. So you know, at Machna, they announced their new super jumbo DC pump. Yes. We've got to give a little bit of credit to Reef Octopus for being one of the very rare, very few protein skimmer manufacturers that makes their own pump. Now, I know their newest pump is designed to be in line with an abyss, I'm sure someone's thought about throwing a needle wheel on there and powering some of these SRO 8000s.
0: I, I, I talked to Derek Ong, who's the, the owner of Reef Octopus there, and I, or not. <laughs> so I talked, to, um, I talked to Derek over when we were at Magna, and um, he was slightly horrified when I said, by the way, I'm looking, uh, I'm wondering if this pump here can power a Reef Octopus 8000 because I'm trying to find ways to quiet it down. And he's like, I've never heard anybody say our skimmer was loud. What's
1: AC? It's AC (laughs) compared to just DC sine wave. But I I,
0: I, I told him, like, don't take it personally. I'm the crazy one here. Oh, yes. I'm the crazy one that's, that's asking for quiet equipment that is normally loud. So trust me, this is not a normal inquiry, but I'm wondering if this thing can be retrofitted onto the skimmers that I have. Did he give me any feedback on uh, that? They said, we will look into it because, <laughs> it, because it, it, is like a, it is a smaller pump and such and such. Yeah, yeah but I, I would love to get an, a DC option. Again, for no other reason than sound because the AC option for performance, it's fine.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Performance is fine. You just want to optimize some of the noise. Yeah. Um, do you subscribe to any of these newfangled uh, techniques that people are doing nowadays? You talked about your you know, reticence to send in ICP tests every week and try to nail every number down. Um, but what about you know, chasing pH and CO2 scrubbing? Have you dabbled in it and or have
0: you seen returns on that effort? So for a hot second, we were chasing pH for the last month. Um, only because one of our systems was like horrifically low pH.
1: What, does th- what number is
0: that? 7-3. What? Okay. Are you sure
1: that that probe was working properly? It was not working properly. <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> In
1: fact. <laughs> There's no way it was 7-3, dude. Corals would straight dissolve.
0: <laughs> yeah. So it turns out we didn't have a pH problem. Um, so that was the extent that we were like that concerned about pH. But I would say that the, the tanks are still kind of low anyway so we were looking at you know upping our our gas exchange in the building itself you know i'm looking at adding some some plants that might help like that just to just to filter the air a little bit because as much um air exchange that we try to get into the building uh we live in o- in Ohio. It is extremely humid seemingly all the time. So I would introduce a ton of humidity if I wanted to do this air exchange. And then I would have to dehumidify it right back out. So it's just a lot involved. So we yeah we're we're trying. We haven't done the the whole CO2 scrubber thing exactly, but we're getting around the problem which turns out to be not that big of a problem anyway. We just had like a faulty probe.
1: So I want to talk I want to talk livestock with you but before we get there let's talk a little bit about chemistry because you just like me must get this question all the time what do you keep your parameters at and i'm always like dude it's natural seawater like the ocean is basically one thing which is very small variability so how much focus or emphasis do you place on hitting a you know a target range for calcium, magnesium, alkalinity, temperature, salinity. You already talked about pH a little bit and it turns out your your instrument was incorrect and that must have changed your outlook a little bit. So tell us a little bit more about like what is
0: your water quality management, what does that look like? So we do test practically every day Every, uh, every day? Every day. Why every day? Not my choice. Not my choice. Uh, you, what do you test for every day? Uh, calcium, alkalinity, magnesium, nitrate, phosphate, salinity. Every <laughs> day. I'm over here thin- doing it once a week. I'm sorry. Evan does it
1: once a week. We haven't done it in like a couple of weeks. And I'm like, we do it so often that I know what it's going to be. Even certain things that might change. What, where? <laughs> how did you get to testing once a
0: day? Uh, and what do you test with? Uh, mostly Sailorford and Hanna. Mostly Sailorford and Hanna. Uh, we also have auto testers that we don't really rely on very much. Um, we, we've tried a number of brands so far. And um, this is where like I think automation scale-up doesn't work for us. Is now that we have almost 10 different systems. The amount of... Um, the amount of calibration and maintenance on those systems to get relatively good numbers it becomes its own full-time job and it was supposed to save time Uh, so we end up just doing like some some hand tests for for all this stuff and it is because one of the guys is um, is very 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 concerned about water chemistry the rest of the staff Um, There there was a time where I would test once a month at most But that that kind of reminds me of Mark's interview with
1: on reef bum where he had the tank of the month He was like, he's like I didn't test alkalinity. I didn't test. I'm sorry I didn't test calcium magnesium. I tested alkalinity about once a month And he was growing acros in a way that we hadn't seen in 2001 back then.
0: I will say though it is better now that we're testing more. Uh one of our tanks, uh, when it when it, uh we like before we started due to the hardcore testing, uh what what would happen is we would grow lots of Bird of Paradise cereatopora. Lots of it. Dozens of giant unsellable sized colonies. And then every now and again, half of them would just instantly bleach out and die overnight. Just and it, this is—it'll this, come back and forth, back and forth, back and forth—and uh, didn't couldn't really put our finger on it. Maybe there's like a contaminant. I don't know. Uh, then when we started to test more and better, uh, yeah, the alkalinity was like two point something DKH. That's not possible. It was bad. It was it was it was like three drops, and that was it. Like it was nothing. Uh, it was. Abysmally low. Okay, I don't literally mean that's not
1: it's not possible. I'm just saying it's impos- it's hard to wrap my head around. I could see it's actively growing corals, sucking that alkalinity down faster
0: than your, you know, limestone rock and sand could dissolve. Funny you mention limestone sand and stuff dissolving because part of the reason is we just had a calcium reactor that had run out of CO2. Months ago, and we never filled it back up. We never like, hey, you didn't notice? Didn't notice for months. It was just one of those things. Like you know what? Whatever. Apparently, there's no problem because again, all the corals are just fine. We were growing until they're not. (laughs) They they always, they always grew back. Guys, we're we're not always the best at this. (laughs) Some of these things are like these are some goofy anecdotes because when you get into big systems, it invites neglect on a scale that hobbyists aren't aware of that could possibly exist. Like you have a commercial system that's over a thousand gallons running an alkalinity of two point something undetected for months. Definitely could happen. Just saying. Oh, goodness. I need to take a breath.
1: There's so many things I want to say. It's I like, wanna, why am I, I even get... on
0: this podcast? Who is no, this no, 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 no. no <laughs> it's
1: not you. I want to get into so many different aspects of how you should have a just readily available ph monitor that you trust and when the ph gets down a certain level you know that your alkalinity is critical we could talk about all this stuff but i really want to get a little spend some time on the livestock end of things but what is you know the, the question that i answer that i asked you said you test every day but there's, you know, <laughs> I guess by letting me know that your alkalinity, so it was after the alkalinity hit below three dkh that you're like, um, maybe we should test more often. Uh,
0: no, it, it was when I hired somebody that really cared. So it's it's about him. Yeah. You want to shout him out? What's up, Luke? <laughs> what
1: about the cost though? The cost of the test kits and the reagents—is that just a rounding error? It's a
0: rounding error. Yeah. Yeah. I mean what do we spend money on it's so i used to be like hung up on certain bills and like focus in on like we need to reduce this bill like especially like electricity for example was a big bill that was in my head and once we started to grow uh that bill became a non-factor compared to ups shipping charges and salary to the point where it's like this you can't we cannot be talking about this electricity bill ever like it is not worth our time and so like like something about test kits that nonsense utter nonsense okay yeah all right okay so are there there
1: numbers that you like to see now that you're testing all the time is is luke managing those and just um and how do you how do you replenish your mineral chemistry you know for for the studio here You know the two peninsulas is all three part well the foundation is kalkwasser so that's giving me a bump right there that's a big ledge then it's uh three-part dosing on top of that and automatically every day several times a day and then on a week-to-week basis i might manually because i remember a time when reefing was manual dosing that's what you did And then I have one big calcium reactor to handle the six hundred gallon system. But what does your mineral
0: replenishment strategy look like? How do you attack that? So fairly similar. So for us, we are very late to the calcwasser party. I mean, I I mean, I did calcwasser twenty years ago. I never quit. I never stopped. That's awesome. But I was doing like bad calcwasser. I was using like Mrs. Wages pickling lime and stuff that's like clay colored and stuff <laughs> yeah i know <laughs> and and oh uh, we were doing like b- bad cheap implementations where it was like a bucket with a little valve and you would it would over drip cloudy calc which is again the clay stuff so you're not doing calc reactors you're doing a, a tub right a trash can now we are doing a 20 something odd gallon trash can that can roll and we are delivering it with a peristaltic pump so so the dosing is spread out over the course of 24 hours and that pretty much we're going to get to a point where the entire 20 gallons will be dispensed daily to a single system to a single system so we would have multiple gallons. that's a lot sure is. Just have pretty good evaporation um, and then do you
1: do any automatic dosing or calcium uh, we, reactor? we do we,
0: we do calcium reactor as well and the the last little finishing step is if we need to bump it up with uh, like two-part basically we haven't needed to do magnesium because that's something that we can uh, put into the calcium reactor like for example uh, we like the Julian sprung uh, two little fishies product um, we like the, the the two little fishies product but um, we were using ARM Aragonite Reactor Media for a long time, and we get it in bulk bags. So we didn't realize that the comer- that the retail packaging says high magnesium. I formula. remember
1: this from one of your videos. Yeah. you
0: had a magnesium explosion. We had we had magnesium that was like topping out the test kits for a long time. Couldn't figure out what it was. Well, it turns out that you know these blank bags of reactor media. was like super high in mag. So we can incorporate some of that media into our reactors and we really basically don't have a magnesium issue after that.
1: Okay. All right. Is there anything more you want to talk about on the technical side of things before we dive in a little bit more into uh, you know the, the the tidal garden corals. Is there anything else you want to touch upon before we get into the livestock? Do you like ozone? I have used it on and off for years and I have re-revisited it in this year. I found two units that I have that are uh, rebranded Sanders units by Aquamedic. So the 400 gallon tank is getting uh, 25 to 30 milligrams because um, it's adjustable. And this system is a, it gets 200 milligrams. And that's, that's the sticker value, right? 200 milligrams of, in, in, implies that it's perfectly clear pathway for the corona discharge very dry air which we have here naturally and so i don't know how much of that is i really getting into the aquarium but i feel like it's knocking back a little bit of the pathogeny that you might experience when you have so many corals and so many nutrients but by far i mean the water's crystal like uh, i started i do a little bit of water change I think about a week or two ago, and I noticed the the, the the bucket was a little bit yellower. It should be like, almost like air. That's how clear it was. And we were cleaning the skimmer and I had a Johnny Guest fitting coming right off the ozone generator. It fell off, fell apart off, oh, right? Man. No tension. <laughs> so note to the wise, Johnny Guests and the quick fittings are not ozone safe. So it was a simple fix. I just took that fitting off and put the tubing right on. But I feel like Ozone is more adjustable, it's more flexible than ultraviolet sterilization, and UV is not gonna clear up your water. And so I'm re-re-revisiting ozone, coming from, in the industry side of things, we always had ozone generators on these bullshit tiny little cyclone built-in protein skimmers before the BioBalls. You remember that? Mm-hmm. You protein skimmer before the BioBalls? I remember working at plenty of shops where you always smelled the ozone. You always smelled it. And so, yeah, I'm not, I'm not worried about it. And I think, I'm not saying everybody should use it, but on a certain scale, Marco and I were just talking about this the other day about the ozone use with tanks. It's what is the effect of administering 10 to 20 to 50 milligrams on, you know, let's say a 300 gallon tank in bursts versus having a two to five milligram ozonizer
0: just going all the time. And we don't know because it fell out of favor yeah i think somebody knows the answer to that but not me i i'm very late to the ozone party because i was so worried and whenever you're adopting a new technology at the scale that i have because i don't have like one or two smaller aquariums i mean now i do but for the longest time the smallest aquarium it's a thousand gallons full of coral Mm -hmm. so whatever it is that people want me to try you're asking a lot you're asking a lot you're putting so much on the line right so it's like when when people's like would you be willing to try our salt mix i'm like let me explain do you you understand what you're asking of me if this goes (laughs) sideways It's going to cost me a million dollars. It's It's like like, you're asking a lot. So I was very late to try to adopt ozone. And now that I do use it, I am a big fan, but we don't have Colorado dry air. So it is a, a major obstacle to try to get ozone working efficiently. Just
1: for those of you listening that are not familiar, the ozone generation process works a lot better when you're working with dry air. So historically you would need an air dryer um, before your ozonizer or whatever's drawing that air in to make the air really dry so the reaction can work. And I just, we're naturally, you know, I guess fortunate here in Colorado that they are so dry. Super dry I, air. I can't even dry it that much more.
0: No, no, you, you have super dry air here. So if, if anybody out there is like really curious about how it works technically, uh, the humidity is reacting with the nitrogen in the air. And once you corona discharge that, it forms, the, the nitrogen forms like this pasty scum that gums up the works inside your ozone unit. And so effectively, no real ozone generation is happening and getting into your protein skimmer yeah. or reactor. So, What made you
1: decide to pop some ozone on your system?
0: Uh, some people were talking about it in, in some video, and they had, like a, as like a, a special guest, um, a... Uh, a company representative of like in one of these ozone people. Ozotech? It was Ozotech. <laughs> yeah. Who like, else well, is there? Yeah. Well I I guess it, there's some uh, on the commercial side that, that does it on big scales and stuff. But so Ozotech, um you know their their guys were there and I was like in chat, I was like asking because you know, I, it is something that I've been curious about for a long time. And they were they actually came to my facility looked at everything, gave me all these ideas, answered all my questions in person. Your mileage may vary, guys. I don't think Steve Christiansen is going to show up at your door, just saying. But that really um, gave me a lot more confidence in giving it a try. And once we did give it a try, I'm like, this water looks like it's rendered. Dude, the crystal
1: clarity of the water, again, What's the point of having crystal clear, high-clarity glass that's more susceptible to scratching if you're not cleaning it? This is how we started our whole conversation. But then if your water is not crystal clear like air, you're not really getting those benefits. That being said, I don't use any kind of water polishing on either of these Peninsula tanks. You know, it's just good automatic filter roll, good protein skimmers, and a reasonable amount of water change about every two months. But I know just like a slight kiss of ozone would just take that to the next degree.
0: But what made you was it just clarity that you were chasing that That was literally i I would say that 95 percent of my uh my interest in ozone was the clarity but i think that you do have these side benefits of like knocking down like you know the coral warfare biologics going on there um the odor reduction was kind of interesting uh did you see me impact on dinos did you uh, do you have any experience with dinos I, i never really struggled too much with that so I know when, when people struggle with, with dinos, they really struggle. And so it's, it's like chief on their, on, on their mental hit list. But realistically, you'd have a hard time finding dinos in any of my tanks. It's right. just not a thing. We have our own other issues.
1: <laughs> All right, let's get firmly into the livestock because we can't sure. let this go on forever and ever. And I just want to relax and hang out with you at the studio a little bit more, especially now we've really been able to dive in. One of my favorite videos that you ever did Not of all time and not objectively going through all your videos, but one of the ones that really stuck with me was when you did a video um, talking about the corals that you would never offer for sale because it didn't make sense to farm them on a commercial scale. You know? Um, Do you remember which one I'm talking about? I know we put out a lot of videos, um, but you talked about a group of corals that just didn't make sense for you to culture.
0: I can't think of it off the top of my head, but I can think of some corals that definitely don't make a lot of sense for me to propagate. What are
1: those four tidal gardens? What are the corals that you're like,
0: nah, that's not our jam? Okay, so one that jumps out immediately is the, I guess the, the people call it like a Pawnipi bird's nest. They usually form, like they're very fast growing, they form these really like sharp points. and I know, oh, no, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, so my issue with that coral specifically, so the growth rate, while great for aquaculture, doesn't match up with the inherent demand for that coral. Also, uh, we need to have it grow to a certain size so that it fits into a spe- like a four-ounce specimen container, because they are pokey. Once they get into bag sizes, guess what? They're gonna poke through the bag,
1: and they branch like every quarter inch. They just take a you know a 90 degree branch here, and so you know a one year old colony might be two and a half inches across. <laughs> in the in the certain circumstances,
0: it's not a so great frag. It's it's a fine coral. It's a bad product. So it it would be things like that. Um, I don't have any interest in doing a whole lot with Palythoa anymore. It's one of those things where. Uh, it's not a great seller, uh, it's a, some, some more than others, but there's like certain varieties that are not great sellers. And if you neglect them, they will grow on the side of your overflow box. And one day when you want to go through and remove all that, that's an ordeal. That's a hazmat situation. It's a problem. Yeah. yeah. No,
1: every time I see vendors, stores, or people online, you know, selling off uh, just regular slightly green edged palithoas, I think of myself like that should not be allowed like i only have a soft spot for my palathoa grandis my sun polyps they do not grow out of control but fragging them entails a lot of preparation a lot of slime and a lot of blowback right so same thing with the palathoas i'm like i'd be okay if as a community we all decided no let's just not do this there's a reason it's the last coral
0: air quotes coral standing when someone's getting rid of their tank you know what I mean? There's there's so much risk to. It. I've heard so many like my dog died from such and such. Like I, I'm I'm real I'm real over it. Mm. Uh, so like part of tidal gardens though is like the educational aspect of it. And so we want to have like one of every kind of coral, and. You know because when we make content around it, we do coral spotlights, but there yeah there's there's definitely some things that it's like, you know what I don't even want to touch that stuff. I can feel it in my jaw the minute I start handling that, it's not good all right let's what uh, something a little bit more pleasant
1: what are what are some of uh, corals that are like your bread and butter, not as far as paying the bills, but it's like you know you grow a lot of it, it's always been part of the tidal gardens uh catalog
0: so an So, the the types of corals that I tend to to gravitate towards just for my taste are going to be some of the large polyp stony corals that can be actively propagated, that are colorful, and are relatively low drama. And it's ironic that the the thing that's top of my list right now historically has been challenging to keep, which is Ganiapora. I love them right now. Whatever it is with this recent. Uh, band of of Ghanis, but they are more stable than most of the other LPS we have. They are gorgeous to look at. Like I really believe
1: that Justin Credible had it right, like f- almost 15 years ago, that the fragging prevents them from coming down with a lot of troubles. You know, when we're talking about the normal baseball-sized uh, eye that are coming from turbid environments, just giant fields of them. They're just literally picking up manganese nodules on the bottom of the ocean. When those are just put in a tank, left untreated, there's just a lot of stuff that gets incorporated in the skeleton, and over time, that causes an issue. And I think because now we have such an intense culture of fragging, um, we're cutting away a lot of those problems, and uh, you know. We're not seeing people kit colonies from the wild. We're not taking a whole colony and putting it in a tank. If there's something that's really nice flower pot, it's going under the knife. Mm-hmm. It's getting cut down to the bare minimum that you need. And I feel like that is half the battle. I'm not saying it's all the battle, but that is half the battle, the intense uh, frag forward culture that we have. But also now with a much better understanding of trace elements, um, what do you think has changed for you? Because you, you, what, what does it look like for you when you get new stock in? Are you
0: picking up frags at the shows? Or are you picking up wild colonies that you sit on and wait till they bloom? It's, it's a mix. So the, the beauty of having like a coral farm that is, that, that's so aggressive when it comes to aquaculture is that we, so for, first of all, we don't even, we don't import. We do work with wholesalers that do import, but I'm really only interested in like a handful of corals. Like, I, I can I can walk into certain places, and they are big, big places, and there's really only a handful of corals in those places that I actually am interested in. Um, so I can be super picky, choosy about like onesie, twosie things. I have no problem paying full-on retail for something I really want, because I know I don't have to like buy this 50 times a week. Yeah, it's just I get the I get it once I try to propagate it forever so that's kind of like how we go about acquisitions I'm, I'm literally trying to hunt down very specific uh, things that I would be interested in, in propagating long term and we do buy the stuff that you that people typically don't propagate the trachees, the homophilia bauer bank or sorry homophilia Australis, all all that stuff just to have it available for a, a random shopper but like, I don't really need to be buying a ton of that stuff. I don't need to have acres of acanthophilia around. I'm really kind of laser focused on something that hopefully will be a long-term culture.
1: What are some things that you failed at?
0: Oh, I failed at plenty of things. I know, but
1: (laughs) I'm not trying to put you on the spot, you know, but as content creators, we're naturally putting together, putting a front, you know, it's just, we want to put the best foot forward, we want to wear a three-piece suit, we want to look our best for the public. Sure. And it's just really easy to present this veneer of perfection. No, when, I get it. I get it.
0: I just, I'm saying this for posterity for the viewers and the listeners. Yeah. So. Guys, at any given time, something's not going to be super thrilled because all these corals come from very different environments, from different parts of the world, and you're putting them all into this very homogenous setting. And uh, most of it, I'd say over 90% of it, is going to be just fine. But on the fringes, you're going to get some stuff that hates life. So right this second for me, uh, there's a couple corals that... Aren't loving the tidal gardens experience. There's some acros. Not all of them. I would say that about 70-something percent of the acros are doing really well, but there's a few that are just not having it at all. So I would say that some acros, room for improvement. Um, Blastomusa, which used to be one of my favorite corals ever, for whatever reason, uh, they like like for me the idea of a long-term blastomusa farming culture because that, that's something that grows like crazy and can eat that's easy to frag no i'll stop you right there Merletti will grow like
1: crazy easy to frag and for the longest time i always saw well's eye as like a static coral like you were lucky to keep it alive that being said today you went with me to aquatic art i picked up a small frag grown mini colony of red and green Musa for 50 bucks and i have a colony over there that you wouldn't believe was a single polyp I don't know, year ago, a year and a half ago, it just said, bloof! And all of a sudden, it's like an instant colony. I'm like, how did you get this? What happened here? I just, I, I counted them out for the longest time.
0: We uh, historically have been able to, um, to grow the, the Wellseys, and the, I mean, Merletti's obviously faster than the Wellseys but we've been able to grow well seeds just fine but lately when it comes like, the, to long-term aquaculture of them we would just get random die-offs to the point where it's like we're putting in a lot of effort and resources into this coral and it feels like i'm treading water because we like have eight frags looking good suddenly it's four frags what the heck happened here that sort of thing and strangely long-term cultures of micro and, uh, I, again, it's one of those things where like we can achieve explosive growth and then they have explosive dieback it's like, what, why, why? I,
1: I think that's really important to, for us, uh, you know, influencers to kind of put out there that we are struggling. We do have challenges. I will be open with anyone about what I, it's not thriving at, at the studio at any given time. People often ask me, what's my favorite coral? I've had the same answer for 10 years the coral that is doing the best right now. Good answer. That is my favorite coral or the one that's just doing the best forever has always done great or the one that I finally unlocked. But my my everyday answer is, is the coral that is doing the best right now. So with that in mind, I come, like, you know, what is your what is a coral that you're enjoying the most right now at the Tidal Gardens, you know, farm? and what
0: are some corals that are on your hit list that you want to get better at or do you want to add to your catalog um easily right now the, the, the thing that brings joy to my heart whenever i walk by the tank is our collection of ghanies
1: ghanies yeah the guys okay. are doing great
0: Got huh. we got, uh-huh. got bernies the bernies and we have Valve's. when yes. you say ghanies you mean specific specifically, like specifically ghanio Ganiapra. Yeah. But um, we actually have quite a few Bernardpora that are doing really, really nicely too. But I gravitate to the real deal Ghaniapura. Yeah. Uh, Alveopora, they're cool. But they don't have the color. I
1: disagree. They don't have the color combinations. But there's some really green ones, or some really pink ones, or some you know, bi-colored mouth ones. There's a lot of corals here, I'm sure you haven't seen them all, but when we wrap this up, I'm going to okay. show you a couple of Bernies,
0: gonies and Alvies. My Alveopora are mauve at best. Yeah. It's probably closer to just gray. <laughs> so, but, but I've seen some, some, uh, some video of some wild colored ones, insanely colored ones. And then when I see that one for sale as of what you see is what you get uh, piece, it's like that's not at all anything that's just that's gray again so yeah I, I would have to see it I'd have to see it what are some things you think that uh, contribute to success with the Ghannings I I I don't know just, if you could see his face right now he's I just don't know like, <laughs> <he's> like <laughs> you actually one thing is we we, uh, we do try to feed them and lately I've noticed that they can actually grab and eat Mysis that was kind of news to me because before I was thinking like oh it's it's i refroid- sort of thing I don't believe you I'll take video for you. I,
1: I, I would love to see that. I would love to see I, that. In fact, I think I, I have video Target fed them for years, and for me, putting phosphate in the water is everything I could have hoped for. This, this,
0: this whole weekend, guys, it's, it's <laughs> Jake telling me about his nitrate and phosphate dosing regimen being like the, the key to everything, and I'm like, if you already have phosphate and nitrates, yeah. then, it's, then, you, then
1: you shouldn't even listen to right. that. But I'm bottoming them out, and I've Fed, and I've Target fed for years, and I haven't seen that... Feedback, but now that I'm hitting zero because I talked about this about my ritoris that I've had for years I I would hand feed it once a week like something really chunky. It did not thrive It did not thrive and then once I started really keeping an eye on my nitrates and phosphates um, That was a turning point. That was a big big turning point.
0: It's always interesting to go to different people's places and see how they got to the success that you're seeing because oftentimes it's one of those situations it's like that meme it's like i don't know how you got there this is a different formula but you got to the right answer sort of thing right um, yeah it, it's it's always like yeah it, it's always a treat to to see how how people do things differently because th- there could be like ninety something percent overlap and you'll see that one little bit that's not the overlap like that is interesting yeah. that that sticks and out that's
1: a, that used to be a really important aspect of the reef aquarium hobby this is kind of a great place to start tying a knot on this session of reef therapy is you're not getting the same experience online The person that's telling you X, Y, Z, the whole freaking alphabet, you show up in person, you you mentioned it earlier, right, about seeing the same corals in different tanks. I have the same corals in different tanks, and I can tell you, okay, in this tank, it grows thicker, deeper, bushier. That one, it grows a little faster, a little lighter, a little thinner, you know? And that is just incredibly informative, because you have to see these different results first, and then you start sleuthing of, like, what is different between these tanks that I'm running more or less the same. But then when you go to see someone else's tank, they have the same coral. This is to be such an integral part of the reef aquarium hobby, because you would share corals, share corals, not try to milk every single polyp your coral farm. I'm not I I I, I, I am trying to sell some some product here. Yeah, (laughs) but no it's different, but you know still the pure love of reefing like Seeing the same corals and different is like, how are you getting that color? How are you getting that growth? How are you getting that polyp extension? You put those three different hobbies together and we can all get excellent growth, excellent color, excellent polyp extension. And so, so the in-person
0: visits is sorely lacking in the reef aquarium community. I will sense. throw in a hot take on top of that. It's because of how the internet is. You You, again, are separated from that that uh, that showing your work you know i'm here at jake's studio i can see his work right and so you you have to have that part of it too because it is, it is very easy for somebody just to try to snow you because i had i had an experience relatively recently where i was talking to somebody and they were talking about like some next level analytical chemistry to take a reef to the next level and like the technology that they're, they're employing for their I think I might have gotten mega, this, I might have gotten this email <laughs> this mega coral farm that they're working on and they're improving on what I did but they're taking it to like, you know, uh, like SpaceX level tech and incorporating all this to solve all these issues and, and I'm just sitting here thinking like they it sounds like they're making a spaceship and last I checked I was trying to make a spaceship and they are like way over my head with everything that they're talking about and and somebody else I had a con- another conversation later and uh, you know, he's also in the industry and he is highly highly intelligent I, I respect his opinion quite a lot uh, on, on many matters and he just said if you ever have that feeling they are probably just a fraud because it's like you of all people are tip-top at this you know and if somebody's going over your head it's probably not real and and I think that like an average hobbyist hearing stuff going over their heads might have that same feeling if they're not able to see the actual work product at the end of all of the baffling all nonsense. the smoke and
1: mirrors exactly all the filters all the hype you know i think along a similar line i think it was earlier this year um that was included in a chain mill on someone who was just just so thrilled that their tank was hitting a ph of 8.5 and this and that it was staying at 8.5 and they were doing all this stuff to keep it from going to 8.3 and they just kept talking about the ph and the ph and the ph and all the things they were doing to keep that ph super high there was no mention about the health of the corals the vitality of the corals no pictures to demonstrate what were the benefits of running at 8.5 and i'm like dude did you just do a thesis on how to have like Supernatural levels of pH because the ocean doesn't crack 8.3 You know right now the you know the average pH ocean used to be 8.2 now because of ocean acidification it's closer to 8.1 And so like you're really doing backflips about having a pH of 8.5 But what do your corals look like? What does your growth look like? What does your reef look like? It was just a number. It was just a number on a screen and I'm like dude, you gotta you gotta bring it back bring it back so Thane um, I want to thank you so much for your time. If you're a, a, a reef junkie and you've been scrubbing reef tanks while listening to this session of Reef Therapy with myself and uh, Than, uh, for sure you will probably already know the Tidal Gardens YouTube channel and the Tidal Gardens website. There's so much more we can talk about. I hope we can uh, pick this back up on a future session when I come visit your space. And we can talk about some of that at length. Uh, Thane, it's a real treat to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, no, we're going to have some uh, really down-home uh, Mexican food here shortly. But, uh, you know, cracking two hours, just hardcore reef talking. I think it's time for us to crack a beer and uh, go back to looking at some coral. So, Thane, I want to thank you so much for, for joining us and everybody for listening. And participating if you're watching listening to this on youtube we didn't record our faces you're probably looking at a bunch of beautiful b-roll of something <laughs> um if you have any questions or comments put those down below if you're listening right now on your favorite podcatcher make sure to rate us and i'm sure you can throw some questions on any random video on title gardens and uh, then we'll get around to it so thanks everybody for tuning in and uh, thanks thanks for participating bye guys bye everyone